Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or, hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be page of who? Jim Bob Foley? Holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today... Writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's it's going pretty well. Um, it's draft season, so I've done my research. I've, I've read at least, I don't know, 10% of Sam Vecini's 180-page 180 180 <laughs> draft digest, so I'm, I'm prepped and ready to go today. Our special guest, Sacramento King's draft figurehead, lover of all things apricot, it's Bryant West. Bryant, how's it going today, dude? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's that time of year. Uh, it's a little different. Then the last, uh, I don't know, 16 years we've been uh, uh, going into June. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air, honestly. Last but certainly not least, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you today. How's it going? Well, it's great to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, looking forward to obviously with uh, Bryant, uh, certainly I know uh my my knowledge of this coming draft is the least of this group. Uh, I just <laughs> I just know some guys that I liked watching the few college games I watched. That's about it. <laughs> this is the first time I, I I can recall Jerry since I was prepubescent that I don't have a hot take about the draft. I'm just going to give Bryant like an hour and a half to talk, and I'm going to mute my mic and ask questions once every thirty minutes to make sure you're not asleep, Jerry. Does that work for you? Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> okay, good. So if uh, if Bryant's in the building, we know what time of year it is. It's draft season. And uh, with a week to go before the Kings pick at uh, 24, 38, 54, we figured it's well past time to talk prospects. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, we're going to talk a little bit of strategy first. Uh, Jerry, me and Bryant were talking a little bit uh, uh, yesterday about this. And uh, we were both curious about your ideas on what the Kings might need going into this draft in terms of uh, – you know, every year in previous years, it's been a big argument about best player available versus fit. And when you're looking for a star, like in the top four in the draft, that's a different conversation than when you're down at 24. Uh, is is this King's draft, uh, this King's draft being different than everyone else? Is it time to swing for some upside? Do we need an immediate contributor? Contributor, you as a GM, Jerry, what are you looking for in the draft that's different from the Kings? Well, I mean, uh, to to your question, do you? Would you like an immediate contributor? Of course you would. Uh, this is a good team, though. 
uh, with a lot of a lot of proven basketball players. So you know, my my feeling is that what you're hoping for at 24 is a guy who's an NBA player that uh, can be an asset at some point. Uh, you know, realistically, are you going to get a guy that's going to take minutes from some of the guys you've got? And is he going to solve the problems that you really have as far as getting better? I, I think the odds of that are extremely slim. Sure. Tony, you put out a list, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, about the last 24th overall picks, last 15 of them. What did you what did you get out of that going over that list? What did you see out of those that like made you think about this draft coming up for the Kings? Yeah, I think out of about 15 players, six of them were were pretty good draft picks. And I think that that didn't really teach me anything new. It maybe just reinforced the idea that this is not a uh, this is not a guarantee. You're not guaranteed to get a good player in this draft. You're not guaranteed to get a player in an NBA player in this uh, pick range, period. Um, so it's just a, a different way to look at the draft. We've talked about it a lot uh, on this show and, and offline about how weird it is not picking in the lottery. Um, so just kind of resetting expectations as a fan base for what a 24th pick should be and, and realizing that, yes, you could hit, you could hit a, a Serge Ibaka, who I think was the best player of of the last uh, 15 years, picked 24th. So you could hit, sure. But those odds are, you know, one in 15. Like you got to kind of reset your expectations a little bit. So that was kind of, Kind of why I did that exercise for myself was to reinforce this idea that it's it's a it's going to be a tough tough to hit, but it can happen. Brian, as you were as you were preparing for this, uh, what did you come away with looking at the twenty fourth pick this year as opposed to other years when we're drafting in the top ten? Well, I've been kind of going into it in the same mindset that Jerry talked about. There, the goal here should be f- to find an NBA player, um, and and I keep hearing uh, fans on on Twitter and in the comment section at Kings Herald talk about you know uh who would fit this team best what does this team need and and to me like when you're picking in the 20s thinking about that thinking about fit thinking about positional need it's almost setting yourself up just to to a way to fail because you know finding ideal fits in the 20s that just doesn't happen all that often heck finding a good player in the 20s i don't think happens as often as folks seem to think it does uh, I appreciated Tony listing out all of the last 15 years of 24th picks because I think as I looked at it, there were uh, six, seven guys of the last 15 years who were, you know, who played meaningful NBA roles, which is not the worst hit rate, but it does mean that we can't go into this expecting, hey, we're going to get a starter out of this or or even heck, we're going to get a sixth or seventh man out of this. That's the goal, and I would hope that a good team would find somebody who can be a, a good contributor for this team moving forward. Um, what I will say about this draft, as I'm looking in the the late teens, the twenties, this is a a talented class, but it's just kind of all over the place. Um, if you look at uh, Sam Bassini's board, if you look at uh, ESPN's board, if you just go find your favorite NBA draft nerd and look at their big board it's kind of all over the place. And what that tells me is that there could be a lot of ways that teams in the twenties, the Kings very much included could go with this pick to where, unlike where it was with the lottery, where, you know, everybody had gone through every players, every game that every player had gone through and said, okay, this is why they would fit here. This is why they wouldn't, who knows at this point, 
I mean, did anybody look at the Kevin Martin pick and say, hey, this guy's going to be a, a starter in three years and win uh, most improved player and, and be the best king for a couple of years? No, I don't think so. Um, so I, I think being a fan of a team drafting in the 20s is is um, a little it, it, it's a breath of fresh air, but it's also meaning that we are trusting the front office to do their homework because at the end of the day, hey, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly who at 24 is the best player, but it also, at the end of the day, it that's why they get paid the big bucks. Jerry, I'm curious only because uh, you've sat in that chair and you've had to make picks like that. How are, how are Monty McNair and company preparing for this draft and how might it be different this year versus in years previous where they're really trying to hit home runs? Well, yeah, I, I think it probably is very different because I, I suspect they'd like not to take the pick. Uh, and so they're trying to find out the value of the pick, uh, uh, who likes, you know, in, in case of somebody might want the pick, who do, who do uh, they think they want? Uh, you know, so you're looking at a group of guys uh, you know, and certainly Brian knows more about this, but you're looking at a group of guys that that may be there if you have to take the pick and who you could be happiest with. And some years, you you know, you want to go ahead and take the pick, but I, I just suspect, uh, you know, they're looking for value in that pick, whether taking the pick, obviously, or, uh, you know, what, what can this uh, pick uh, bring me in the open market kind of thing. Sure. All right. So we're going to roll over into Bryant. Bryant, you, you, you did me, you saved me a lot of time in terms of homework by just yesterday posting your, your favorite picks for the upcoming draft. I think it was your six or seven favorites. Um, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you loose. I'm going to give you uh full reign of this. You can run in any order you want to go to. You can go through position. You can go through, you know, favorite to least favorite, however you want to do it, Bryant, it is, it is up to you, my guy. So wherever you want to start off with, we can start the conversation wherever you want to. All right. Uh, let's start off uh, with uh, C.D. Sissoko, um, a small forward out of the G League Ignite program. I'll have a profile out on him in the next couple of days. Um, he's a 6'7 uh, forward, 223 pounds, just plays like a, a wrecking ball on both ends of the court. And to me, what makes him most interesting for the Kings is that he is one of those guys who, when you watch his defensive tape, it 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 seems by all accounts that he's as dedicated a defender as you can ask for. And it, especially in the G League, where you know you're playing, you're not playing NBA players, but you're playing as close as you possibly can. He handled his own on defense against guards, against wings, against forwards, and that sort of defensive versatility is is something that I personally would look for if the Kings are going to hold that 24th pick. Um, so CD Sissoko is definitely an intriguing prospect to me uh, on offense. He really needs to prove his uh, three point shot shot, just 31.4% from three last year, which isn't great. I don't know that this Kings team will ever gamble on more questionable shooters, um, but he's a great playmaker for his position. Apparently played a lot of point guard when he was over in the Spanish leagues and that really shows up in his game. Um, he's a guy who, if you just, for a lot of these uh, lower usage guys, and he played on a G League Ignite program that had Scoot Henderson and Leonard Miller playing, so he wasn't like the primary initiator pretty much ever. But it was still impressive just how quick he pops off the tape as one of those guys who's playing in the background on both ends of the court. 
Jerry, Tony, do you guys have any initial impressions on CD Sissoko? He's six six. I mean, he's a he's a good defender. He's a good passer for his size. Are you guys okay with picking a non-shooter at this point in the draft? Well, I'll say this. I, I had a com- couple of conversations with people, G League people that are pretty high up. And uh, he he was one of the guys, that, you know, people uh, that I trust, you know, that, I, that uh, uh, they just said they, they think this guy's going to be an NBA player. Uh, you know, and, and if, he, if you're patient with him and, you know, uh, shooting is a fundamental skill that can be taught. Uh, doesn't mean everybody can learn it. But uh, in fact, that was kind of going along what Brian said. If, if, if in fact he can get so he's a, you know, a competent deep shooter, uh, then you really got you might really have a player. Yeah, I guess the only thing I'll add is, uh, well, two things. One, the Kings actually did work him out, which is just I think some valuable information. I, I used to chart uh, who the Kings worked out every year. It was a very annoying process. Now Hoopsype does it for you. So um, the Kings had already worked out City. And the other thing with him. Uh, and I guess maybe the theme of this podcast for players that I will end up claiming to like is every single one of these guys. Um, also, shout out to Sam Vecini again in his uh, draft guide. The swing skill is the shot for, for <laughs> basically every single player that I like in this draft. And City certainly fits that bill. Great uh, size, athleticism, range, potential on defense. Can he shoot to be determined? Um, but at 24, that's something you, you're okay gambling on. Yeah, I th- that's the kind of gamble that I would want to make. Um, if, if he was, if he already had, uh, if his catch and shoot numbers were higher than they were, and teams could look at him and be like, "Oh yeah, he's a role player on both ends of the court immediately," um, he'd be going a lot higher than he is. So, yeah. like Jerry said, it's not always going to be something that people improve on. There's been plenty of NBA players who who come in and hey, they're a shot away from being you know a good NBA talent who just never developed that. But uh, I just watching CD Sissoko, he looks like a guy who, who has the fire on both ends that I'd want to gamble on. Jerry, I guess this is more of a, a philosophical question that we, we didn't really touch on, but uh, I'm noticing in the, the list of players that, that Bryant is going to go through, a lot of them are fairly young guys. We're talking 19, 18 for Derek Whitehead. Noah Clowney is, is 18, I think. I don't think he's 19 yet. Is there any... Is there any hesitation if it were you to to pick somebody uh, who's a little bit younger, who's 18 or 19 versus somebody who's, you know, we're talking about like Trace Jackson Davis, who's who's basically going to be 24, I think, by the time he starts in the NBA? Well, yeah, I think you have to factor it in. But the only reason I would say I wouldn't put too much into it unless I really thought I had to have somebody step in and play tomorrow. Uh, and I don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, I'm, I I may be negative Nelly here, but I just don't see him getting a guy that's going to get the rotation minutes likely anyway. So to your question, if there's a guy that's 19 years old that you think has a, you know, has a great upside and, and, and you never know, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's like the, the one of the top high school Americans a couple of years ago, Moni Bates, I think, you know, that really, uh, in high school looked like he was could really be something special uh college he didn't but there's a point where you'd take him (laughs) (laughs) i think there's a point where you take him right does he remind you of anyone uh currently playing in the nba um 
CD Sissoko, uh, he kind of reminds me of what I wanted Isaac Okoro to be um, as a, as a Mm -hmm. driver, playmaker, defender. Now Isaac Okoro is a good uh, case study for, okay, what happens when that guy doesn't develop a three point shot? Um, But you know, he's still an NBA player. He still started on a good team for most of the year. So I, I think that's meaningful. I don't know that he's as NBA ready as uh, Okoro was, but uh, he, he's in that ballpark. Tony, do you have any last thoughts on CD? All right, Brian. All right, uh, I'll transition over. Um, let Let's swap to uh, somewhat of an older player because um, Trace Jackson Davis, a uh, big man from uh, Indiana. Um, to me, when I watch him, I think that he could be a, a really solid uh big man off the bench, probably behind Sabonis. Um, he's a little undersized for, you know, the, the small ball five roll, uh, six, nine, 240 pounds. Uh, but 23 year old senior played in Indiana was one of the best big men in college basketball. The last couple of years took it to a whole different level this year, uh, was Indiana's leading scorer, rebounder and shot blocker, but also led the team in assists. Like, 21 points per game, 11 rebounds, four assists, and three blocks uh, while shooting 51, 58% from the floor is pretty dang impressive. Um, and for a 6'9 big to have uh, his level of uh, playmaking, dribbling ability, like he can rebound and go immediately, uh, I think that, you know, the Kings spent so much of last year looking for uh, a big man to come off the bench behind Sabonis. And they just, you know, they really struggled to find somebody who could do that consistently and and not clog the offense down in one way or another. And Jackson Davis's um, playmaking is really intriguing there. The reason that he isn't talked about as higher than this, or he, he may not even be a first round pick, is just because he never made a three-pointer in college and uh he flashed it a little bit at the combine which made some eyebrows go up but to me you got to prove it in a real game before i'll trust it any way shape or form um and one thing that he's got going for him is he he's a smart player um he's not going to be able to immediately do everything that he did in indiana like he ran so many post-ups so much low post stuff that i don't think teams are going to be eager to have him do straight in the go but uh, he's quick enough. He's dang athletic. And I think given some time, he's going to figure out a role at the next level. Anybody been able to see any Indiana Hoosiers games this year? I've, I've watched him quite a bit, you know, for uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, Mike Woodson, you know, being a friend and uh, going back. So I made a point to try to watch him and I like him a lot. He's to me, he's just what you, what you've said. He's a basketball player. Yep. yep. You know, I mean, the guy, uh, the guy's tough. Uh, you know, he's got the bloodlines. His dad, Dale Davis, uh, was a was. A, I know I saw him up close and personal too many times. Uh, but but yeah, Trace. I mean, he he's got some passing. He's got the whole the, the package without the shot, the deep yep. shot. You know, the same <laughs> the same thing. And 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 so you know, but he's one of those guys. Honestly, uh, if he could learn to shoot the perimeter shot consistently uh he might be a real surprise guy yeah you know i mean he you know he's he's not gonna be afraid to play yeah i have no concerns about him figuring out some aspects of the game if that shot comes along suddenly you're talking about a smart player who 
can do a lot of things in the modern NBA. But I, I guess my question for you guys would be, assume that he doesn't become a, a meaningful shooter, either from the mid-range or deep. Um, is a 6'9 big, uh, is a bench big pretty much, who you have to figure out can run in a you know more of a pick and roll offense or a vertical spacing threat is that worth a first round pick in the modern nba when you've already got your your center of the future figured out that's a great question i, I you know I'm, I'm not sure that he is i think that's that's the right question uh like say i think there's guys that you might feel like uh are better risks there that if they could you know, with being younger and all that. And like you say, I think with Trace, if in fact he can't develop an outside shot, uh, he's going to be a real limited roster player probably. And, uh, you know, you're looking for more than that. Uh, And and it's not to say that he won't be better. He's likely to be better than some of the guys who seem to have more potential. (laughs) You know, that's also true. So, uh, but I, I would probably tend to say as much as I like the guy, uh, I'd be look, you know, if you're available at 38 or something, you'd feel thrilled to death. But uh, I'd, I'd probably want to take a chance on a, you know, I'd, I'd rather take a chance on City or someone like that if, you know, if, if they were there. Yeah, Trace is uh, another player the Kings have already worked out. So we know McNair is at least looking at him uh closely too and while he might not be my favorite player at 24 um when you have a good general a general manager you kind of have built that goodwill where if monty picks him then i assume on some level that the skills that he needs to develop uh mcnair thinks are developable under this coaching staff which is it's nice to have a, a general manager that you have some faith in now when they're making the pick versus one that you're assuming they made they made the wrong call um and the, currently the kings have zero bench bigs under contract that I feel comfortable enough playing any minute. So while we talked about uh, before some younger players who might not play in year one, um, Trace is a guy who, who, you know, depending on what happens with Trey Lyles' free agency, he might be their best player off the bench uh, as a big, if you, if you, you know, depending on what happens in free agency. So the Kings definitely have a hole there, even if it's not like a, a starter role, they need some players who can play off the bench in the paint. And he is an, an older rookie who, who might be able to do that. You know, one last thing on him, I'd say, you know, just, remembering his dad coming out of the drafts and everything. And, and a lot of the same things were said about him. Uh, you know, he went later and, uh, and he wasn't as skilled as Trace. He, he really wasn't, but, uh, but he carved out a hell of a niche. Now is a different time, different game. And so you have to factor that in, you know, basically you didn't have to be able to shoot the three uh, to play. And uh, so, but yeah, it, it uh, I think he'll find a way to play in the league, but I, I sure, I think for the Kings, it, it'd be hard to, to see him being a backup to Sabonis uh, and really, really doing everything you need, but I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys that when I was in the shop the other day, uh, one of my clients asked like, Oh, you know, uh, who do you like in the draft? And, and Trace is one of my favorites to watch. And they were like, Oh, well, can he, can he defend? I went, oh, yeah, I think he blocked like nine shots in a game uh, mm-hmm. last year. It's like, oh, okay. So then he can't really rebound then? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he like he grabbed 20 rebounds a couple of times last season. Oh, uh, so he doesn't really score. And I'm like, no, I think he scored like 35. And they were like, oh, so why the hell isn't he like in the top five or ten? I'm like, well, he's older than Jerry. 
and he's never <laughs> taken a three pointer in his life. Yeah, and it was kind of like, oh, oh, okay. And so we had to like sit there and silent for a second. I'm like, but I really like him. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian, to your question about like, is he is he worth a first round pick? I think he's worth uh, a Monty Bignair pick at 24. Like uh, top 15, no. But like it, once you get closer down to the 30s and everything's kind of a crapshoot. And in this draft where everything kind of below 10 is really, really a crapshoot. I think he's one of those guys that you might look back five years from now, kind of like how Draymond was when Draymond got mm -hmm. picked and people were kind of like, well, duh, why, why, why wasn't he picked sooner? His numbers kind of jumped off the page in certain areas. Trace could absolutely be one of those guys to Jerry's point. Does he, does he back up Sabonis and do everything that you want from him? Probably not. Can he start next to Sabonis? No, uh, not without a three point no. shot. No, but like, uh, would I rather have him than Chemezi Metu or like, you know, somebody like that then, then, okay. Yeah, sure. But is that, is the, is the Chemezi Metu replacement worth a 24? Probably like this is circular logic where I go, that's yeah. probably not worth it. But uh, uh, Jerry, I would much rather be like, if he's there at 38, grab him. Yeah. Whoever you got yeah. at 24 and him at 38, you had a fantastic draft. Oh, it's a home but, run draft in that case. Yes. Yeah. But if Monty picked him at 24, Okay, then somebody else will filter down to 38 and we'll be all right. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing too is I just wish that I knew what the coaches thought about his shooting at the workout. You know, sure. because yeah. I mean it's a lot of times you can say, Well, this guy hasn't done it, but we have reason to believe he can. And you know, now that's on them or or his stroke is decent enough that we think there's that this can uh, work itself out and some, but some guys it does. Uh, so, but, but that, that you're, you know, you're, that'd be their judgment. They, they have to decide, is this a broken thing or is this something that, Hey, he just hadn't done it. Uh, doesn't yeah. mean he doesn't mean he can't, he just hasn't done it. Yeah. All right. Um, you guys got anything else on trace Jackson Davis or uh, shall I move on? Move on, sir. All right. Well, let's transition from a big man who has uh, uh, one big swing skill to uh, an 18-year-old big man that has a whole bunch <laughs> of swing skills. Um, Noah Clowney, uh, 18 years old, 6'10", uh, started every game he played at Alabama, uh, was a key player, key role player uh, for a team that won the SEC title. Um, his stats of 10 points, 8 rebounds, and a block per game, they don't jump off the page. But what is impressive and interesting to me is that everything he did at Alabama, everything that Nate Oates asked him to do as a role player, could be what his future NBA team wants him to do. Um, on offense, he was totally an off-the-ball threat, both inside and out. Uh, took the same number of jump shots as he did shots at the basket. Um, Alabama stuck him in the corner. They really just all season long believed in his catch-and-shoot ability. Uh, but they also used him uh, in the pick and roll as a rim running vertical threat uh, shot dang well at the rim, uh, which is impressive for his age and his size in the sec. Uh, he's a pretty good athlete showcased his length and solid quickness on both ends of the court. And on defense, um, I think that's where the intrigue really comes because, you know, you're talking about a guy who, who showed flashes keyword, their flashes, of being able to defend the rim and switch on to smaller players on the perimeter. Um, but everything I just said is, is a swing skill. Um, and a whole bunch of those have to come up positively before he'll be a, a meaningful bench player, let alone a starter. 
Um, like I think his shot form looks pretty, but I'm no shot coach and he did just shoot 28% from deep this year. Um, he's got good touch at the basket, but he's 18 years old and he's 210 pounds at 610. That's not going to scare anybody. Um, he works on defense, but for every highlight block or, or highlight switch onto a guard, he had just as many low lights and mistakes. So if you want to gamble on upside, he may be the one to go for because we know how rare it is to have a big man who can both space the floor, hopefully hit from three and uh, protect the rim somewhat. But my question is, when are when are too many swing skills too many for, for a project player, even when you're getting late in the first? That's a great question. I mean, I, I've watched, just watched him a couple games and, and uh, like you say, you know, it's one of those very intriguing. And yet you think, well, if, if you're really drafting him to play next year, you're going to be really disappointed. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, if you think, and, you know, if you got the patience to really work with him and, and patience would be the key. I mean, cause I, I mean, you know, just, uh, just looked at what little I know is how does he beat out uh, uh, Nemias? You know, yeah. I mean, even, I mean, that, that, that couldn't have, he couldn't, could he beat out Trey Lyles at center? No. no. Uh, or, I mean, so, so anyway, yeah, I, I just, I mean, it, and yeah, in three years, you're, and, and, you know, the, your great point about his size and weight, I, I wouldn't worry about that much because he's 18. He'll get bigger. Uh, as most of us know, as you age, you get bigger, even if you're not trying to. Uh, so he'll get bigger, but but that's here again. After we're talking, probably three years down the road, and so uh, you know, I sound like a broken record here. At 38, I'd be be pretty happy to see him there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the question is, assuming that the Kings can't find a trade that they want to make at 24. How patient does this front off is this front office willing to be? Uh, are they gonna are they going to be okay looking at you know a bunch of prospects and say this is the one we think can be best in three years in our system? Because for the first time in like sixteen years, I think the Kings have the infrastructure and the coaching staff uh, really in place to to you know kind of trust those longer term project players. Or, or their ability to bring out the best in those long-term project players. But, you know, nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, two, three years down the line, that's two, three years down the line. But you but you hit on it. I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be, again, we, the coach and staff feels, you know, and Monty feels that they can teach him and he'll learn and and that they will be patient. And, and you know, and I would say this, if they think that, I probably would be on board. I've got a lot, you know, I think they just, you know, if they feel like he's a guy that can, they, that they can develop and will be a real player for him in a few years, I'd say, okay, you guys uh, deserve that. Uh, and, but, but anyway, that's, you know, like I say, to me, it's just a matter of, okay, if you're really looking to get better next year, uh, he not the guy. Yeah, I, I guess it's a little anticlimactic for us to trust our general management for the first time in a long time. Like, like yeah. to have a good team with good general managers, it's like, 
it's hard to like stir up the drama between oh you know Jaden Ivy versus Keegan Murray to like save yeah. the Kings franchise from from a black hole, and yeah. and now we're like oh yeah like I could take Gerald Wallace and wait a few years because if you have the right development program okay then you get Gerald Wallace out of it, but like we're not looking for the savior and it's a weird place to be in. Even Jerry here, you talk about it. Like, well, I got to say it again. Like if they're willing to wait, they're willing to wait. And like, yeah. I too am willing to wait. And I, I assume Bryant and Tony are as well. That's a very strange place to be in, especially with a guy like Noah Connie, who it's like, yeah, I could see him being a uh, off brand John Collins. If everything worked well, I could also see him being absolutely nobody at all in this league because he's young and maybe should have gone back to college for another year or two. Tony, I don't know. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you think about Noah Clowney? Uh, Beyond Noah Clowney, I I love the the uh, I guess I would say the strategy behind picking a player like him at this range of the draft, and that might make, make me um, an outlier in this discussion about kind of this, the strategy that the Kings should take. I love taking the swing here at twenty four if you're going to keep the pick, and I would even say that you don't maybe you can't afford to wait three four years for him to become a a productive NBA player. But all you need, if you are a, a competing team trying to make the playoffs, trying to get better, is for him to show enough flashes soon. Maybe he has a good summer league, and then he plays some spot minutes and looks really good to to make him an asset that you can trade for something else. You can package him. You're like you don't need to wait for his full development in order to get something good out of taking a swing at a player like this. Like even looking at the Wizards now, they're trading Bradley Beal. Uh, I don't think the Kings should really get involved in those trade discussions. But what the Wizards are going to be looking for are young players that are promising and he's, you know, the guy like clown, he's very young and other draft picks. So you can use him as an asset, as a young, interesting, good player, especially if a, a guy like Monty Wiener believes in him and you can, you know, he's not going to get a huge opportunity here, but if you can show enough flashes and make him valuable around the league, you don't have to necessarily wait four years for that pick to be quote unquote worth it. That becomes an asset you can move later on as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, th- I think, you know, that's what you're really hoping for. I mean, at 24, get a guy, who's has value, uh, has value to you, hopefully, and certainly to the league. In other words, an asset. And that's, uh, you know, uh, it's not when some guy that you, you've got to get rid of in two years for nothing, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, you know, there's always a good chance of that, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that basis. Uh, but gee, you know, it is a matter of, of trust. I think, you know, that, uh, that we can, we can, teach his kid something, he'll be the kind that will learn, uh, you know, whether he fits with, with this team or not. And of course, uh, I guess just the one thing I'd say is like, if I'm the Kings, uh, you know, I'm looking at the West and hoping to contend. And I'm knowing that after watching Denver, I'm saying, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we ain't going to contend unless we 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 get some additions to the uh, to the crew. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the with that trade discussion in mind, I guess a question I've pretty much had all off season while thinking about um, leading up to the draft is. How high up on the realistic list of assets that the Kings could be looking to trade is the 24th pick is because it seems pretty high to me, unless you're starting to talk about trading one of the starters. Well, I think to, uh, I I just think honestly, to get something you want, uh, the pick is just kind of a, just a a starting point or a throw in. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, you're going to have to add a player and a pick to get somebody that you feel like can go get minutes for you, you know, and, and, and whether it's, uh, you know, it's at a power position or a big wing or whatever. Uh, but that that's where I'd see it. I mean, I just think the pick isn't likely to do that for you. Uh, I don't think. Yeah. I, I do agree with you that, um, 90% of the, the prospects in this in the Kings draft range aren't going to realistically return meaningful minutes next year. Um, and and most likely they'll probably be uh, off to Stockton. So, um, it, but at the same time, if now isn't the time that you're willing to take some more of those upside swings in the back half of the first round, I don't necessarily know when it would be. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's your point. I mean, to me, that's what they have to look at is, yeah, we'd like to trade the pick and something to get exactly what we need. But if we have to take the pick, you know, it's like you say, okay, uh, just because you want to trade the pick, I mean, you can. So we're going to take the pick and probably, (laughs) probably that's exactly the way you'd have to look at it. It's like, okay, we're going to take the pick and we're not going to get a guy that's going to step in there and and give us five more wins, but let's, let's get somebody that uh, maybe can give us five more wins in three years, or we can trade and, you know, use and trade later on. All right. Uh, any thoughts, uh, Will, before I move on to the next prospect? No, run on through to the next one, dude. All right. Um, I want to talk about uh, Maxwell Lewis uh, played down at Pepperdine. Um, I think he's a good case study in, because the, Team situation down in Pepperdine, and and Lord knows I probably watched way too many Pepperdine games as a son of the uh, West Coast Conference and a graduate of St. Mary's College. Um, I he's a, he's a very interesting case study because he was the best player on Pepperdine the last two years, but they were bottom of the conference, and I, I think they had a, a I had their record somewhere. They went to combined sixteen and forty seven in that span. Um, it didn't keep him from from flashing some real on and off ball scoring, especially as a shooter uh, promise. And uh, he definitely showed some improvement later in the season, uh, attacking the basket, uh, especially against some of the better WCC uh, defenses. My question then is, um, and I guess I'll run through his numbers first. Uh, 17 points per game, five and a half rebounds per game, nearly three assists per game, shot 46% from the field, 35% from three, uh, had some very nice uh, shooting numbers earlier in the season before conference play. And then conference play just rolled around and his numbers just cratered. I think he shot something like 21% from three in, in WCC action. My question, I guess, for you, Jerry, and, and for anybody else, if you can think of case studies like this, how do you evaluate a prospect who is in just a, a, a bad college situation? And specifically for Lewis, he was he had a near 30% usage rate. He was the creator uh, at Pepperdine. Now he's going to come in and wherever he ends up going, teams are going to be like, okay, you got to be a floor spacer as we kind of figure out the rest of your offensive game. What is it? How do you feel about taking a prospect whose 
college situation was just so messy that it's 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 hard to get a true two way feel out of them. Well, I think that's a great question. I, I mean, to me, boy, it's tough because uh, you know, in you know, every losing team has a leading score, and uh, and and what a lot of his stats, you know, are probably in mop ups and 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 this and that, and he's the only guy. Uh, I'd I'd be scared of him. I'll be honest. I'd just be really scared of him because, uh, you you know, you're hoping for a guy that can play in the NBA and you'd think an NBA player could, could win a few more games, <laughs> you, know, you know, potentially NBA player. And, and, and is it fair? Uh, no, it's not. And, and, you know, he might turn out to be just fine, but then there's guys kind of like him that, have proven they can play on winners. <laughs> and so I always said, you know, just going back, this is just me now, this uh, just going back to college and different things. I, I would never recruit a guy off a losing team, period. You know, I mean, if you, if your goal is to win, you probably ought to get guys that have won, <laughs> but they, it's different in the pros. And I, I know, you know, Markel Fultz played on a terrible team, but I also yeah. think, that's why I would have never taken him first. <laughs> You'd have looked like a genius a couple of years ago if you had uh, had a big board and not had Markel Fultz number one. Yeah. Oh well, you know I always say that's what Danny Danny Ainge did. I, I'm convinced Danny Ainge knew that he wasn't that good. Yeah. And so he could trade the pick and get uh, a guy who he felt rightly so, as we know now, that was much better, and that's what he did. That's what. You know, I you know I would say that's kind of why Danny's really good at his job. He actually knows who's good. Tony, will either of you gotten uh, any chance to watch Pepperdine Waves games? I can't say I watched much Pepperdine, but I did have a. This is kind of what I my takeaway from looking into Maxwell Lewis. Um, first, the Kings did work him out. He's the highest consensus rated player the Kings have worked out so far. There's still time to get more players in for workouts, but that is kind of the. the for consensus ratings, the highest they've brought in so far. And of the, uh, hand, I don't know, 30 or so players the Kings have worked out, the nine that were in the top 50 consensus ratings were all essentially wings. Um, and then Trace, Trace, if you want to call him a, a forward, probably more of a center. But nine of nine of the top players they brought in are wings. So it's Monty McNair is kind of doing the same exercise that we all are in some ways, is looking at all these uh, wings that have different pros and cons and trying to find out whose swing skill you can develop or who is the is the most ready. So while Maxwell Lewis, again, wouldn't be the the wing that I would choose at 24 because you have so many options. I know um, we'll talk about him uh, at some point in this podcast, I'm sure. But like I would much rather have someone like Leonard Miller than Maxwell Lewis. But if Monty McNair looks at this group of wings that he's watched work out and they're all kind of in the same tier of player, and he he thinks that Maxwell Lewis is the best player. He who and he might have the highest immediate upside, I think, offensively, just because he's done so much more of it. Like you, you could make the argument that he has more varying skills offensively than some of these other wings that you're looking at at 24, and he comes away with him fine. Um, wouldn't be my choice, but it is interesting that he's the best player the Kings have worked out consensus wise so far, and it's a, another wing. I I will say that. Um... Man, I'm surprised that there's a, a list of 30 names that they've worked out because I know that they've been so tight-lipped about who they're working yeah. out this year compared to years in the pre-Monty era. Um, so that, that that's interesting to hear that he's the highest consensus ranked 
uh, I, I would have had to think about that for a bit. Will, any thoughts or should I move on? No, I, I was just going to, my, my, my few thoughts just to add on to Jerry's is that like Jerry talked about like, like an NBA level talent playing for a bad college team. And I also kind of remarked that he also like moved around to four or five high schools as well. So like that, that basis of like, uh, I don't know, from building from the ground up, like you, like there's something, there's always something weird about those prospects that go to four or five high schools where it's like, okay, how good a coaching did he get? How much, uh, how much continuity did he get as a, as a high school prospect as well? So I, I don't, I don't know. There's a guy, I mean, uh, Viceni, uh, uh compared him to like Jalen Williams a little bit, which I thought was okay. That's an intriguing, mm. like, Ooh. okay, he's he's kind of sh- like six six. He's able to, he's got a lot of skills. He can score, but like, I think he said that he wasn't quite. I mean, he's obviously not quite as good as uh, that. Would be difficult to find a Jalen Williams type guy where the Kings are going to be. But nobody thought Jalen Williams was Jalen Williams. This a year is true. Ago. Yeah, this yeah, is true. Like, no, that's true. Lord, but, Lord knows, I should have. <laughs> Because yeah. uh, Santa Clara is a big rival of St. Mary's, but I, I nobody except for uh, Sam Presti was that confident on Jalen Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I I googled uh, uh, Maxwell Lewis a couple of days ago to like just to like get ready for this and whatnot. And there was a game where I was like watching highlight reels and stuff like that, and I clicked on one of them, and it was a low light reel. They played Grand Canyon, and he scored nine points and shot two of fifteen. And like I was halfway through it, and I just clicked off of it. And I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go on to the next guy." And I feel like, like to Jerry's point, the more Jerry talked about it, the more and more I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I can just like click the little red X at the very top on Maxwell Lewis yeah. and be I'd be fine if he if he turns into Jalen Williams or somebody. Great, I was wrong. Like there's enough other things that you read about him that I'm kind of like, uh, okay, like let somebody else hit on that on that role. That's a little bit too spicy for my take at 24. Yeah. Uh, I got uh, one more case study I want to run by you guys. And this is for Derek Whitehead, uh, played for Duke. Um, a year ago, well, I'll, I'll get the stats out of the way first. 18-year-old freshman, um, averaged 8.3 points, two rebounds. Uh, the rest of his stats are pretty inconsequential, just 20 minutes a game. But he did shoot 43% from three and was pretty much the only floor spacer on this Duke team. Um, the The reason that he well there's two reasons that he's still in this conversation one of them is that 43% from 3 is pretty remarkable uh he he's a very good shooter and not just a catch and shoot standstill got to be in the same set position every time he shoots it like he can shoot off of movement he can shoot off balance uh he's got a really pretty shot the other reason that um uh, people are high on him myself included is that a year ago he was being talked about as a uh a lottery lock and then come august as duke was getting ready for the season he suffered a a foot injury which required surgery kept him out for a lot in training camp and he really didn't get going until december but he went from this guy who in high school was a three-level scorer and an excellent athlete could finish above the rim uh could really drive the paint he didn't look like that at all at duke he he was very much low to the ground uh his finishing at the rim really suffered and the only true bright spot of his offensive game was his three-point shot and then come a month ago his his agents put out there hey the the injury never healed after the foot first surgery so he's gonna have a second one and you know for for a lot of 
people who had watched him in high school, they were like, oh, okay, you know what? That explains things. He just, he never looked right last year. And if he needed this second surgery to, to get him right, hey, maybe he can somewhat return to form. So my question is, here's another case study. Are you willing to gamble on a guy who, you know, a year ago in high school in a meaningful, on a meaningful team, like he was playing for Montverde Academy, which is as good as you can get in high school basketball. He was a real star and one injury kind of offset everything, but he still has a clear role at the next level. Is that a kind of guy that you'd be willing to gamble on at 24? Well, I, I would have two, just a couple of questions on that. I would, you know, with his agent or whatever, to be able to get doctor's reports. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that to me, that'd be the if, if then, you know, if if you could do that and your people seem to think it's a fixable thing. You know, I, I have a good friend that scouted for the Kings and Portland Trailblazers for years. Keith Drum retired and lives in Chapel Hill and is a close friend of Coach K and so with the Duke program, all that, okay? And he, he was telling me, you know, basically his feeling is, yeah, if his, if his kid's right, he, he, you know, he's probably a lottery talent. Uh, and so I, I guess what I'm saying, if I could be convinced that it's fixable, that'd be the guy, you know, that that's exactly who you ought to take a swing at. But, but there is that. And, and I mean, you know, Harry Giles is another example, you know, of a guy who was a, 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 a surefire high school, all high school American, surefire college all American that, you know, basically, you know, was never the same and, uh, you know, could play in the league a little but but he just, you know, just wasn't wasn't the same and so yeah so but but i I, th I think it's a lot easier to take a chance on a guy like that uh this year for the first freaking time in a hundred years <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean so you know because you're you are picking 24th you know you are picking 24th if so anyway i i i sure think that's one they ought to really try to do some research on and get some information on i really do because, I mean, I'm like you, uh, Brian. I have watched some of his highlights and his stroke, and, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, that guy, you know, it's like, holy cow, is this, you know, Chris Middleton or what, what is going on here? Yeah. For my sensibilities heading into a draft like this where the Kings are at, this is exactly the kind of player that I, I want. Just – Target the the weird situation. Be the be the team that takes advantage of the fact that you can get him at twenty four. And to Jerry's point, I was going to mention Harry Giles too. That pick did not work out, but I have I would never criticize the Kings for taking no. that shot. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know that I have no issue with that at twenty. So why would I have an issue with that at twenty four for a guy who has much less uh, injury history than Harry Giles did? Harry Giles was an extreme case of 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 uh, of injuries, and I was still okay with it. So with Whitehead. Uh, fractured foot, um, two surgeries. Will it work out for sure? You don't know that, but 100% the kind of shot that I'm willing to take. And to the uh, Noah Clowney conversation earlier, another play where, hey, you draft him and maybe he doesn't play a ton in year one, but if you prove he's healthy, that's an asset you can trade to moving forward once you you know get him on the court, prove he's healthy. Maybe he's not the guy for you, but if he can help you get the guy for you, then great. That's a great use of a pick here. 
It's it's great that we were all going to mention Harry Giles because Harry Giles getting picked at twenty in a year where we really needed some help. Like that's exactly who I thought of when I when I see Whitehead. He's just one of those guys that like it's a foot injury. Like I remember like the process Sixers. I can't go a single thing without talking about the process or tanking. But <laughs> but like when you can take Joel Embiid and wait four years for him to be okay at at number one. Like okay, like I'm fine with like taking Derek Whitehead and like hunting him down one or two seasons. Like just just letting that foot heal, getting him in a, a weight program. I mean, the Kings medical staff just won like medical staff of the year for the NBA. So you trust those guys with like his foot and you go, okay, like we, we don't need to see you this year. If you're a six, seven buddy healed, like good luck. We'll see you next year. Brian, I think it was you who called him like a rich man's Corey Kispert or the prospect Corey Kispert thought he was. Is that who you were talking about? Whitehead, right? <laughs> Uh, I don't I remember feel, who I was talking about. Maybe I was I, talking about Julian Strother. Oh, maybe, maybe it was Strother instead. Yeah. But like, yeah, he's one of those guys that like, yeah, if he, if he pans out, like he could, he could be one of those needle movers where you go from a 50 win team to, you know, having Keegan Murray at the four and a realized whitehead at the three, all of a sudden you're scoring 150 a game. You might not, you might give up 160, but, but all of a sudden everybody on your team can, can shoot the lights out. Cool. But yeah. if it doesn't work out, nobody's going to blame you, like Tony said, because he he had a foot injury. He was 20 pounds overweight in college, and you still just took a swing on some high school highlights. I would yeah. be fine with that. He's one of my favorites out there. Uh, I will say that um, the the Harry Giles comp is, is the obvious one. Uh, but at the same time, Giles had to do so many different things to be – uh, to be an NBA player, whereas Derek Whitehead, his yeah. role, whether his his uh, athleticism that he had in high school comes back or not, his role is obvious. Like be a catch and shoot guy, uh, he was still great as a as a mid range uh, pull up shooter. Um, he can shoot the ball, and when you can shoot the ball, there's your role. Anything else that comes around that is gravy. Um, but like you guys said, nothing is insured in, in basketball or in health. And so at the end of the day, you got to trust the doctors here. And I ain't ever going to pretend I'm a doctor. If, if his medical records pass inspection, uh, by the King's training staff, like he's a guy who later in the first round, you're, you're potentially buying low on a three level score with, with much higher upside than the, the value of the 24th pick may indicate. Um, I think there's only uh, one name I'd like to mention last, and it's probably one that a bunch of Kings fans have been uh, yelling at us. Why haven't you <laughs> mentioned him yet? And I did it on purpose <laughs> because I'm sick of seeing him mock to us. <laughs> and I am, of course, talking about Chris Murray, 22-year-old junior, played from Iowa, and just conveniently a uh, uh, twin brother of a uh, uh, former number four overall pick, Keegan Murray. Um, and, and I'll, I'll put out the floor to you guys first, cause th- th- there's a real debate. I saw both in the comments of my, of my profile on Chris Murray and on Twitter and, uh, pretty much every podcast I've gone on in the last week, would you look to draft somebody who, who's not the same player as Keegan Murray? He's not the same player. He's, he's not as efficient a shooter. Um, I, I think he's a little less of a fluid of an athlete. But his skill set is is pretty similar in terms of he, he's a good scorer. He can shoot the ball somewhat. He's a good defender. He's a good rebounder. He was very productive in college. 
do you worry at all about doubling up on on that sort of skill set? Does taking Chris Murray is taking Chris Murray redundant when you've already got Keegan Murray on the roster? You know, yeah, I think that is a great question. You know, I I watched him quite a bit just because of you know Keegan, and uh, uh, really enjoyed him. I, I mean, I think he's a first round player. Uh, I do, and I think he's going to play in the NBA now. Now, you know, I think the the, 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 and that's one reason you could could take him. He's an NBA player, yeah, uh, most likely, and and we'll have this like we were talking about, Tony. You know, he's the kind of guy will have value, maybe more value to somebody else than he will have to you. And I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I think that just because he's Keegan's brother, you shouldn't look that any different, really. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like if he's a for sure NBA player and he's a or you think he's the best NBA player on the board, uh, you should not take him because he's Keegan's brother. Now, the, you know, now the only reason I'd say you wouldn't is if he was a dickhead or something, but he's <laughs> Keegan's brother. You know, he's and watches him play. I mean, he just absolutely a delight, just plays. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess my take is I don't think you'd ever be sorry that you drafted him. You know, I don't know that you'd ever feel like he has a an extremely important role on your team either. Uh, you know, going forward, but 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 I mean, he, I don't know why. Uh, you know, I don't know why he can't play in the league, and if not, find a role for you, find a role somewhere else. But uh, I love watching him play, and and I agree with everything you said. I mean, he's just not quite as good. You know, I like the left-handed part. You know, I mean, I like the left-handed part, uh, you know, just especially if you had him and you had Keegan and you put him in for Keegan, you know, defensively, the guy would be going berserk, you know, like, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, I know we've we've talked about Chris Murray, um, and the closer we get to the draft, the the less the less I, I like that pick, I guess. Not that it's a bad one. I'm just sort of starting to fall in love with a little bit higher upside players and that mm. might be unfair to Chris Murray because he you know who am I to say what his upside is he's still still a young player um but he does give you some options like it might be a bit redundant positionally but maybe maybe you don't need to keep Trey Lyles then if you've got you know four years of cost controlled Chris Murray so there's so many different roads you can go down in free agency and in this offseason that there are plenty roads that have Chris Murray playing a role here and maybe saving the Kings money elsewhere being that he, he might be one of the more NBA-ready guys you could get at 24. But as we get close to the draft and I, and I dig into more YouTube highlight reels and read more draft coverage, I'm like, ah, man, there's just guys I kind of like a little bit more at this spot. Yeah, I don't think you can ever have enough forwards, especially guys that, you know, that can shoot and can and project to be an okay defender. I don't know if he'll ever be a starter in the NBA, but, like, I, I just think he's like Kirkland, Brand, uh, Keegan which is not a bad thing. Like he, you're still going to get some value out of that. He's just not quite Keegan, but I'm Tony, I'm kind of with you in the sense that like the more I look into it, like if his name was, and we, I think we talked about this before, but if his name was Chris Johnson or Chris, some other last mm -hmm. name, if he wasn't related to Keegan, would we, would there be a, a consensus of people clamoring for him? Even with, you know, a, a family that's as nice as the Murray seemed to be. Like why, why him over Jet Howard or like, I like, you know, Jamie Jaquez Jr. 
Like he's one of those guys that like I would pick one of those guys probably over Chris Murray, but like, or they're at least on the same level for me. And where we have Keegan, where we might be bringing in a guy uh, like Vizankov, like I don't know how much playing time he'll get. I don't know what the family dynamic will be with two twins, where one twin's a starter and one twin is is heading down to the G League every few weeks. So I I can understand why people want him. It's a cute story, uh, but uh, there are other players I'd have over him, and that's fine. Uh, I'll say this much: I I I think if his last name wasn't Murray, if if he was the same dude, but his name was Chris Johnson or something. I I'd still think he'd be a guy who'd absolutely be worth talking about in the Kings yeah. range. Oh yeah. Um, he, he wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so easy to make the cute narrative here. Um, but I, I think he's a top 20 guy in this class and, and he still would be if he wasn't related to Keegan. Cause it's just hard to look at a guy who led a big Ted team in points, rebounds, blocks, uh, yeah. shot attempts and, three pointers. Um, and I think that team was less talented than they were a year ago. And, and he still got them to the NCAA tournament and he did so with just, what was it? 1.5 turnovers a game, uh, given his offensive and defensive roles. Like that's pretty incredible. Um, there are better shooters in this class. There are better defenders in this class. There are more proven scores going to go around him. He may have the best combo of, scoring shooting uh rebounding defending basketball instincts of the guys who are in this king's range that itself doesn't mean he needs to go 24 that doesn't mean that uh everybody should be expecting him to go to the kings but i do think that puts him in the conversation that all said since kings fans have been talking about him for a year now i bet he's going to get drafted by the warriors or the lakers just so that we have to see him four times a year and it, and it makes oh. this all a nightmare yeah yeah I'd, oh i'd be god it'd be hard not to not like him but i still would yeah, yeah. yeah. find yeah. a way we'll find a way yeah yeah the, the, the evil, basketball the, yeah the, the Kermit, basketball the gods are not are not are not kind no not yeah. at all right Okay, so Brian, is that is that your list of first rounders that you're uh, that you're uh, you're keying in on? Uh, I think that covers um, everybody that that I definitely wanted to talk to. But I, I do want to make the point that again, whoever your favorites of who we talked about, whoever your favorites are in in the Kings range, just go into the draft with an open mind because it's not like it was the last couple of years where we could just sit down and be like, Hey, here's the five to 10 realistic targets that we think the Kings could be taking for. They, they could absolutely shock us at 24 and in a couple of years, it, it may not be all that surprising. Um, it, I think being a fan of a team at 24 just means um, trusting the people who are doing their homework. And I promise you, Monty McNair is doing a lot more homework than I have. So we've talked about the first round prospects. Uh, we'll open this up to everybody here. Um, is, is there any second round favorites that you guys have at this point? Anyone you're looking for at 38 or 54 that uh, if the Kings do keep those picks that you guys might want the Kings to take uh, down at the bottom of the draft? There's, I've got two, and I'd be interested to see what Brian thinks of these guys. I mean, and Monty Bates is one. You know, he'd be a guy I'd really be interested there to see. Another is a, uh, a guy I've kind of, I, I just kind of caught a couple of games and I just really like watching him play. 
from Belmont, Ben, Ben Shepard. Uh, just, you know, just kind of one of those things you think, you know, that guy looks like he might be, he might be an NBA player, you know, just so, so that I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah. Well, conveniently, those are two guys that we know for a fact that the Kings have worked out. Um, so they're, they're, they're listening to you here, Jerry. Um, Amoni Bates is going to be without a doubt one of the most interesting landing spots in this draft because uh as you hinted uh, earlier in the podcast like three years ago that guy was on the cover of sports illustrated as he's the next kd um didn't have the greatest uh uh college track um went through memphis for one year went to eastern michigan this year and now suddenly we're talking about him as a as a second round pick um uh, when you're talking about big upside swings in this draft class, like that's the kind of guy that you'd want to go for in the second round. Cause he's a promising score, really strong isolation score, loves attacking in the pick and roll makes tough shots look easy. Um, he, I mean, he doesn't have the athleticism or the explosiveness that uh, some guys who become high end scorers do, but, also, I few guys ever scored twenty nine straight points in a in an NCAA game. So, the the big question for him is, you know, you look at his numbers: nineteen points per game, uh, six rebounds a game. That's impressive. He just he has to prove that he can fit on a good team again. Um, Eastern Michigan was near the bottom of the NCAA for total assists per game, and he had almost double the number of turnovers that he did assists. And for a guy who was the best player on the court for many of their contests, like he shot 40% from the field and 33% from deep. And it's the same question that we were talking about with Max Lewis earlier. Can you trust the best scorer on a bad team? Um, he really has to prove he has to come into the NBA and, and be ready for whatever role his future team is going to sell him into because He's not coming in being the guy he was at Eastern Michigan. He's not coming in to be the guy that he probably thought he was two, three years ago. Is he going to thrive as an off-ball scorer? Um, is he going to play with more effort and, and energy on defense? Um, I hope he does because uh, I, I would love to see him turn this around and 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 show us why we were all excited about him a couple of years ago. But more so than a lot of the project players we've talked about, he he really has to prove it. Um, I know our, our buddy Kevin is a, a massive Amoni Bates fan. Will or Tony, you guys got any thoughts on him? Well, I, I remember watching him uh, go up against Chet Holmgren and thinking like, like, okay, these two are going to battle it out for a long time. I was impressed with him back in high school. And then as soon as he got to college, I was like, oh, okay, Chet's way better. I picked my skinny guy right away. And uh, I don't think I've been wrong about that. Uh, but uh he, I think I think he's a, certainly a second round guy that you take a swing on. I mean, all the talk of him having T-Rex arms, all the talk of him, you know, having trouble in college with all these different things. I don't think it matters because he can shoot the hell out of the ball. Like he can he can score. And I think if he can carry that over, I think there's uh, some guys in previous years and previous drafts that he's kind of like, like. Boston is one of those guys that I think he was kind of like where yeah. like like small forwards that that can score that just didn't really get it get the right opportunity for whatever reason and even if it is his fault or I don't I don't I don't know the the specifics of why he failed in college but kind of in the same Harry Giles argument 
you're not fixing an injury in this case where you have a guy who was once a, a highly rated prospect. You're just fixing either what's between the ears or fixing the situation that he's in with the culture that you have built around your team. And if you trust Mike Brown, if you if you trust the the staff there, then you go, okay, we bring this guy into the right situation and he gets rid of whatever the problems are. We we've got a guy that 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 could potentially be a really good score at at six eight, six ten. He's he's worth a swing in the second round for sure. Yeah, I would uh exactly the kind of player I'd look for in the second round with Bates. And it's it's fun actually as a fan coming uh coming into this conversation with um you, I actually think that this team would be perfect for him, which I would have mm-hmm. never said about previous Kings teams. So oddly enough, Bates to me is is Sacramento. It seems like a great destination for him yeah. with uh, the way Mike Brown coaches. Like Mike Brown is basically a high school coach <laughs> in, in the NBA. So uh, you know, with, with some of the gimmicks he uses to motivate players, and but it's it's such a good environment that I feel like it's it's almost exactly what Bates Bates needs. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, I think as you point out, I mean, this team is so unselfish. The top guys yeah. are unselfish, and really, he's been a very selfish guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, whether he can adjust, that's what you don't know. But that's worth finding out because, uh, you know, he's right now is he just an AAU guy that's going to try to try to, you know, beat somebody one on one all the time and take force a lot of shots, which. I think he might watched him a little bit. You know, he took a lot of bad shots, and uh, but you know, if if all of a sudden he grows up and sees how the other how you can play, and you know, I, I thirty eight, you know, right? I'm with, like I said, boy, I, I, take a swing, take a swing, see what happens. You might get something, and if not, move him on down the road. Yeah, I I do think it's nice because. Like four years ago, if uh, whoever the equivalent of Imoni Bates was, we would have been talking about him as a second round target. Like, oh, this guy could be the steal of the draft. He could he could really be helping <laughs> us get to the playoffs. And now we're talking about him like icing on the cake of a locker room that has <laughs> the infrastructure in place to to help a young kid who who through some fault of his own and 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 you know some situational some poor bad situations. Uh, could just be one good team away from really figuring it out. So I, I agree with that. Um, I'll switch to Ben Shepard, uh, four-year player at Belmont. Uh, averaged nearly 19 points a game, five rebounds, three assists as a, as a senior. Uh, I'll admit I didn't watch a ton of the Bruins over the last four years, but uh, when they when the Kings uh, when when it got leaked that the Kings had worked him out, I, I put him on, and he's impressive in what I've seen. Um, he, he seems to be a versatile two-way player who, who could do a lot of things right on both ends. Um, 41.5% from deep this year, uh, 37% from deep across his whole career, uh, good catch and shoot guy, uh, really good off the bounce. Uh, the only, only shooting concern is that he shot just 69% from the free throw line in his career. And it's those kind of players who are excellent deep ball shooters, but you know, average at the free throw line are always kind of weird to me. Um, but I mean, he moves well with and without the ball. He'll excel as a, a floor spacer at the next level. And he was named to the Missouri Valley Conference's all defensive team this year. Um, I don't know that he's going to have to prove that he can be a, a good defender at the next level. But, you know, if you're talking about uh, uh, end of the first round, late er, mid second round guy, like, Good three-point shooters. Hey, this team could always use more of those. 
Yeah, the the one thing I yeah the last thing on him and I I just it just caught my eye because it just kept caught him in Missouri Valley tournament. But I mean, he he really seemed to have that a real competitor, you know, a guy that balls out, you know, and uh, and you know you can't have enough of those guys. Yep. Tony, do you have anyone that you're that you're eyeing that we haven't talked about yet? I do. I have two second round players that I that I like a lot, um, and I love the second round. By the way, it's my favorite thing in the world to talk about because <laughs> if you if you get it right, you can like you can you you have that credit for the rest of their career. And if you get it wrong, no one remembers, and it doesn't matter at all. So it's it's a great a great place to play around and gamble on players that are kind of interesting and strange. So uh, one player that I like a lot that I've been um, watching reading recently is Jordan Walsh out of Arkansas, uh, six foot seven, seven two wingspan, which is uh, just huge for a wing. I, I was looking for an NBA comp for his size and OG and is the one that came up. Another guy who's six, seven, seven, two wingspan. Awesome defensive potential. Uh, I think it was Vecini who I read. I'm getting uh, all my different analysts confused who, who was saying that, you know, he, he might be the best defender in the draft. Like you, you could make mm. the case for him being that player. And also what I love about him. And uh, I think the Kings have one player on their team right now who I would say consistently takes charges and that's Davion Mitchell. And to me, Walsh is a guy who is not afraid to step in front of drivers and take that charge. He's that kind of player. He's he's all energy all the time. Um, he's had some he has some very strong defensive games. I forget the there was a YouTube reel of him, uh, a defensive reel of him in uh, I think it was a tournament game last year where he just he had so many big defensive plays in in clutch moments and big games. So Jordan Walsh, uh, he's projected to go in the second round. I know he's a player the Kings worked out. So McNair again, another one of those wings that. McNair's throwing at the dartboard, trying to find out which one he likes most. But that's a guy that I that I liked a lot. Again, not going to pretend like I knew a ton about him coming into this process. But as I've read and watched and 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 kind of searched around, Jordan Walsh is a guy that I that I liked a lot just for his energy on defense. Yeah, if if you're looking for a defensive spark plug in the second round, he he's absolutely a guy you could go swing at. Um, I was glad to see that the Kings worked him out because he's one of those guys you really have to check out that shooting that touch around the basket just basically work with him to figure out hey what what are you thinking you're going to do on offense at the next level um his his minutes his his shot attempts they were all pretty dang limited at arkansas Mm -hmm. um it doesn't sound like he really loved his role um for the razorbacks but i i i love his defense in the games i watched uh if he ever improves as a shooter um he absolutely could be a meaningful player moving forward. Uh, the other player I liked real quick, um, another, he's got one elite skill, which I think in the <laughs> second round, that's kind of enough to build off of like, Hey, we get one NBA ready skill and maybe we can build an NBA player around you. That's a uh, Oscar Shibwe, a uh, six, seven center out of Kentucky, undersized, yeah. but just, a, just a relentless rebounder. And coming off that Warrior series where the Kings could not grab a rebound, watching Kevon Looney, which really, I mean, he was a good defensive player too, but really it was the rebounding that made Looney a difference maker in that series. You take a flyer on a guy like Shibwe in the second round who you know he can rebound. Like at the very least, he's a, he's a Reggie Evans. Can you build anything else around him? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But in the second round, I will take a gamble on one NBA-ready skill. Yeah, uh, I, I can get behind that logic. Um Man, is he a good rebounder. Uh, one of the best bigs. He really is. Yeah. One of the best bigs in the NCAA in the last couple of years. Like uh, 15 rebounds a year ago per game, 13.7 rebounds this year. Um, 
just huge guy. Six nine isn't the tallest, but he's just he's so strong. And he backs that up with energy and effort in every damn game. Um, and when I looked at his uh, numbers on on synergy, I was I was kind of surprised at his uh, shooting numbers in the mid range. Like he shot thirty eight percent this year in the mid range, uh, and and that's solid enough. I um, I do worry about how he's gonna find a role on defense moving forward. But like you said, Tony, if if taking second round guys, going with uh, an elite NBA skill is never a bad way. And and if it doesn't work out, Hey, you can always go find uh, another big man to, to fill his spot. Is, is he going to be more impactful than uh, Alex Len was? I, I don't know about that, but it, it's not, it, it's worth a gamble. Let's just say the other thing with him that makes me laugh that, uh, that I had to add him onto my list is that there's um a lot of reports out of his workouts that he's shooting a corner three really well, which is always my favorite thing in the world. Guys who are just like not shooters at all, but you got some hype as, as maybe there's some shooting potential there. So yeah, give me Reggie Evans at the corner three in the second round, please. Yeah, uh, Reggie could uh, snare, snare some carols. <laughs> Jerry, have you ever, have you ever, can you remember a player who, who did something in, in pre-draft workouts that everybody was like, whoa, he wasn't doing that in college. And then it just, and then it actually translated into the NBA. You know, that's a great question. I, I'd have to think on that a little bit. Offhand, I, I can't say that. I, I, I think the only surprise I'd have is guys I thought were, were better than they were. You know, the workout was very disappointing. You know, guys that, for you know, just the other side of it. You know, the, uh, I think it's Bryce. Uh, Bryce Drew from Valparaiso, if you, you know, came in there about to say the lottery pick and yeah, no, no, <laughs> can't do it. And uh, so, you know, there's, you know, I was thinking of several guys like that, probably the only uh, offhand, the, the biggest surprise I think to me, now that I think about it was Brian Grant, because, you know, in college, you know, he was just a terror chasing the ball. I mean, a great rebounder, defender, ferocious player, but you didn't see any kind of shot past five feet, you know, and, and, and of course you knew, and he's undersized. So you say, well, geez, how's he going to play? How can, and then, you know, in the workout, well, yeah, he shot the 15, 18 footer. Fine. You know, I mean, it's a little bit like Rashawn Holmes, you know, had a little better stroke, but I mean, it was like, yeah, he makes a shot. He just didn't in college, didn't have to shoot it, didn't need to. He'd get 18, 20 on just second efforts and putbacks and power power plays. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you, you know, you, you see stuff you don't, didn't see. Uh, always, I'd always remember the story about, a, about Brad Miller, you know, working out and worked out a lot of places, including, and, you know, people say, well, he just, gosh, he, he can do this, but he can't do that, you know. And, you know, how's he going to play in the NBA? You know, he can't, he's just so slow. And then, you know, comes back a few years later, undrafted, goes to Charlotte, you know, becomes an all-star. <laughs> and it's like, I, I always said with Brad, I used to kid him about it. I said, you know, I always called him the human knuckleball because he was uh, – He's always slower than you think he is. You know, he really, 
<laughs> and I told her, I said, you, you fool defenders. They can't believe you're that damn slow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Brian, we're not getting out of here without you talking about uh, Gonzaga's finest. You got to talk about Julian Strotha for a little bit here. Oh, do I have to? Do I have <laughs> to praise his ag? It's that um, or Marcus Bagley, one of the two, my guy. Oh, goodness, no. Oh, I'd rather talk about Julian Strother. That's what I figured. Um, to me, it it doesn't I, – I keep seeing him like people are dropping him down further and further in the second round, and, and I just don't get it because uh, he had one heck of a shooting season this year. Um, uh, 15.2 points, I think, um, 6.2 rebounds shot the hell out of the ball. And I figured after he made that uh, 38 foot pull up against UCLA and the, I think that was the final four or was that the elite eight? One of the two, I figured that was going to be like, okay, here's the linchpin. Here's the the highlight that'll lead everything. And here's the guy who's going to go in the twenties. Uh, I, I, I just don't get it. Cause he's a very talented shooter. Is he the most well-rounded guy? No, he's not a great athlete. Uh, I don't think he was as locked in on defense as Mark Few probably wanted, but that whole Gonzaga team wasn't a great defensive squad and wasn't all that locked in last year. So I don't really want to just put that all on him. Uh, if you want shooting upside in the second round and you want it from a guy who's you know 6'6", uh, he makes a lot of sense. If he's there at 38, I think he probably would be the – the best talent on on my board the only other guy that i have that you guys haven't talked about i mentioned him before and i don't even know if he classifies as a second round pick i'll get brian's opinion on this but uh jamie or jaime uh jaquez jr he's kind of a funky mid-range guy good team defender six six he's a good passer he's kind of like slow like oh, a little slow moe like a little bit a yeah. little bit of that of Vicente called him an elite character guy and that was one of those things that when i read that from Vicente, i was like oh okay like all right, now throw him on the Kings. I'm fine with it. Like I went from like titillated to like absolutely turned on. And so, <laughs> so he's, he's my, he's my Tony. I'm going to call him as my, if I, if it happens, then I look really smart in a couple of years. He's my second round or like late first round guy, I guess. Yeah. Brian, what do you think about him? Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a first round pick. Um, He's, he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, if the Kings take him at 24, uh, I bet a whole bunch of people online be like, what? This guy was mocked in the second rounds or something. But you just have to watch a couple of UCLA games to to understand. This guy did pretty much everything. It's pretty funny. Jerry was just talking about Brad Miller um, and and people underrating him because he was slow. Uh, I mean, it was kind of the same way. Um, you know, he just did everything you want on the court. Like 17.8 uh, points this season, 8.2 rebounds. For a 6'6 wing, that's incredible. Uh, good enough playmaker. Uh, ball hawk, steal and a half per game. Shot 48% from the field. Not a great three-point shooter. Has never been uh, consistently. But at his size, he can just do so many things. Uh, I would love to see him coming off the bench. Does he help your defense? Probably not in terms of, you know, th- this defense isn't going to get turned around until you, you have – more defense first players in terms of um, functional elite NBA defensive upside. And he's not one of them, but I think he's a good team defender. I think he can be a a really smart two-way guy uh, with a good smart team around him. So if he's the pick at 38, heck I'm celebrating that. 
Okay. La- last bit here, last bit of discussion. I know we're going a little bit long here, but last bit of discussion in terms of the draft. Um, and we can, Jerry, I'll ask you this first. How likely, we talked about this a little bit, how likely are the Kings to keep the pick? And if if you see Monty being somebody who wants to get rid of it, do you have any potential trade candidates? I know Bradley Beal's on the market, which means Kyle Kuzma suddenly is opened up. Like, is there is there anyone that you you look at in terms of suddenly being available that you might be able to swing the twenty four for? You know, offhand, no. I, I mean, I think that uh, if you're Monty, you're you're you know you're talking every day, and 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 there'll be teams that will come to him and that shows some interest in that pick. Now, what, like I say, I think you have to be, if in fact you would like to move the pick, you really need to decide what player you're interested in. You think can make a difference where there's several, you know, several might be available, but I trade Bradley Beal wouldn't be one of them. I, I hope, no. No. Uh, but uh, most overpaid, overrated player in the league at this stage, uh, but uh, but I mean to to just decide. Okay, we, we certain players that they may want to. Maybe it's John Collins. What would it take to get John Collins? I'm not a big fan of John Collins, but if you could get him for a first round pick, and I don't know, Rashawn Holmes, would you do that? I would. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, I think so. So I mean, it's you know. That that type of thing, and, and I, I mean, I think the the pick itself has value, uh, but to, to get to get probably what you need if you're really wanting to make a, a run at the top spot in the West or to to be even more competitive, I think, uh, or just 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 you you know, and I know they're thinking this, so you just can't run the same guys back and figure like you're going to win 15 more games. I don't think so hope so like to be wrong i didn't think they win 48 last year so <laughs> i guess they can win 58 but i i think the league you know knows a little more about the kings too sure tony bryant do you have anyone uh, i'm giving up predicting what monty mcnair is going to do at draft time because every year i've tried i have been wrong as all heck um I, I I see the value in trading the pick. Uh and if you think you can go get a John Collins, uh, or if it's you know part of a, a the massive big swing trade that this team goes for, heck, I'll be excited for it. I see the value in keeping a guy at 24 who is gonna be under contract with you for four years at a very low rate and probably have cost control for him past then. I see that value too. Um but it, I, 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 I'm just, I'm not going to pretend I have any idea what Monty McNair is ever going to do uh, come June anymore. Yeah. The more I think about trading the pick on draft night for as much sense as it makes for where the Kings are in their rebuild, like, of course they should be shopping the pick. They, they don't need to, they don't need to wait for another young player to develop. They need help now. So yes, like it makes sense to trade the pick, but logistically it's just hard with so many things up in the air with free agency and how much cap space they will or won't have, like, yeah, you could trade the pick and some stuff for John Collins, but then you might be eating into your cap space where, where maybe they want to go and, and make a big offer to Kyle Kuzma in free agency. So there's just so many um, plates spinning in the air that it, of course it could happen, but I feel like a trade would be more likely after the draft or like we were mentioning before you draft a player and maybe you trade him later. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm going into the draft expecting the Kings to make the pick at 24. And if they don't, I, I guess I would say maybe the trade is something like you're getting a, a first next year and maybe something extra because it, team really likes a player who's available at 24. So you're kind of rolling over your very good tradable asset for more tradable assets. And then you go out and get your player later in the off season, but trading for a player on draft night for this team, where they're at to me is, is very challenging. Can I ask you a question of you guys? Uh, what free agents out there do you think the Kings ought to be maybe looking at or going after or trying to decide whether it's sign and trade or trades Have anybody Got a wish list. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go first, Jerry. You and I are uh, simpatico on this one. I want Nas Reed. He's the kind of guy that I think they should go out and, and make a priority because if he hits, he's a he's a good fit with this team. He can play with Sabonis. He can back up Sabonis in the small ball lineup. That's the kind of guy I want to swing for. And if <laughs> it's pretty funny because that's who Noah Clowney could be in four years or so and and Mm -hmm. getting in free agency now hey go for it well you know i love nas reed i just think the best is ahead and and like you say just the fact he can shoot the three and getting better at it and is athletic got a little bit of shit bird in him which this team needs a little bit more of that that he'll knock somebody down down and, and all that so uh but I'm sure Minnesota wants to keep him too, uh, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, you know the other one that's interesting, and I I don't have strong feelings here, so don't, I know that probably Kings Herald fans would be saying he's finally went <laughs> senile. Uh, but Kristaps uh, Porzingis, you know, if somebody, if you know, I mean, as far as a fit, if he were healthy, he would sure. be a great fit. Yeah, you know, because yeah. he does exactly. What Sabonis can't do, he can protect the basket, more or less, with shot blocking and runs well and shoots the deep ball well. Uh, anyway, yeah, but but I know the money and the fact, could you ever trust him to stay on the floor for 70 games a year? I, I suppose you couldn't. <laughs> Jerry, I like that crazy thinking. I yeah. appreciate that in you. Uh, I, I, think that, I think that, at least on the court, would be a lot of fun. Well, there again, it's a little bit like the uh, the second round stuff we're talking about, or late first, but uh, swing and a miss kind of thing. If you're going to beat Denver, you're going to have to you're going to have to get different, a little bit different, a little bit better. Now, I mean, I think the team with the coaching they have, they 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 can make strides. But you know, I've watched enough of Jokic and and and, and Gordon and Jamal Murray enough now that. I just think they're damn good. And, and, I, and that ain't even talking about Phoenix or anybody else, which, so, you know, it, you know, I didn't, you know, with Murray, he just wasn't that good for half a year, you know, due to the injuries, of course, and yeah. hell he looks, you know, he's, he's right at the top of the guard chain right now. Speaking of Denver, um, Bruce Brown's a free agent. Uh, I know we've talked about him amongst the, the Kings Herald group. Kuzma is a name that we rattle off all the time. He's He has a player option, so he's likely to be a free agent. And we know Monty McNair tried to trade for him for like a year and a half. So there's an obvious connection there. And another name that we we were talking about on the Kings Herald today was um, Yuta Watanabe, which I like as sort of a your bargain option, 6'9", forward who can really shoot it for a Brooklyn Nets team who has a million wings and probably mm-hmm. doesn't have minutes for him anymore. So 
and uh, PJ Washington is another name that I kind of look at in Charlotte who, who you might be able to get at a low price. Cause who knows if they want to pay for him in restricted free agency. Um, so it's, it's not like the best free agent class, but I think if you, the Kings have enough money for one good player. And I think there's enough one good players to find someone that could really help you. You know, uh, Josh Hart's kind of like that to me. Yep. I mean, oh yeah, I, yes. You know what a what a player, but and doesn't he fit everything you need? But he's he's a baller, and uh, he makes you better. Uh, so yeah, but I mean it, and and I think that's probably where where Monty's probably got to kind of look. It's like, well, we may not get exactly, but we got to get another baller. Yeah. You know. Would uh would Brook do you think Brooke Lopez would come for a for a decent price? I mean, I'm sure he wants to get paid, but would Brooke Lopez be a guy that the Kings could get? Well, it's all about money. Yeah. And I think you'd have to pay more than uh, Milwaukee's willing to. Yeah. And I think Milwaukee's probably willing to pay him quite a bit because he's uh he's got I think he's got probably two good years left. Uh you know, you're gonna have to pay him probably for three or four. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, if you're Milwaukee, uh, you just got to keep him, I think. But if you're Sacramento, why wouldn't you take a run at it and find out? Yeah. Because you talk about a, you know, that's a better, ver- I mean, that's a way better prospect right now than Porzingis yeah. because of his durability and tougher guy. I started looking at, there was a report that came out that the Phoenix Suns were interested in Davion Mitchell, of all people. And there's and there's nothing yeah. that Phoenix really wants or would would give us that I'd want outside of Devin Booker or Kevin Durant. But <laughs> if if the Kings were willing to get rid of of Davion, I was looking at backup point guards and like Gabe Vincent out of, off the Heat. He's going to be a, a free agent. Uh, Frank Natalikina uh, uh, from New York. Both of those guys are like they're different than Davion, but Natalikina is a pretty damn good defender. He'd be somebody who could at least do a Davion Mitchell impression. If, if, if the Kings needed a backup point guard when the time came, I don't think Davion's going anywhere, but if the Kings were willing to get rid of Davion for a, for a big swing, I wouldn't mind bringing in Gabe Vincent or, or Frankie Smokes over there. Those wouldn't be bad prospects, I feel like. Well, Gabe Vincent, I mean, you have to like him. Uh, now, Nicolina, uh, Nicolina, he's at Dallas now, isn't he? Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he was. Uh, yeah. You might be right. Yeah. I lost so, track of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Davion, and I mean, I and he's not untradeable for sure. But like, like you say, I don't know what Phoenix would have that uh, yeah. you want. I mean, uh, Cameron Payne is a, is, is a pretty good player, uh, right. different. Uh, I don't know that you're better. Yeah. You're just different. Matisse Thibault's restricted. Do you have any, any hope for Matisse Thibault making it in the league, Jerry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's – He's what he is, and I think that's what I like about him. He knows what he is. He's going out there and trying to guard you in a league that doesn't allow much of that, sure. except in the playoffs they do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, I couldn't get over the playoffs how physical it was. I mean, I thought I was back in the seventies and eighties. It's like holy cow, they're just knocking the crap out of one another. The referees just swallowing their whistles, and I mean, of course, that benefited uh, Jokic because he. He's a, a big boy among, uh, you know, he bunking them around in there, you know, just bouncing them backwards and everything else. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, the regular season, I mean, gosh, they, they, they just don't let you play like I wish they would. You know, I mean, I don't mind seeing a couple games more, 105 to 
to 100 as opposed to 140 to 135. I can live with that. Okay, so we're going to run to the last bit of King's news before we jump to the commercial break and then the Patreon question. So uh, Bobby Jackson is leaving the Sacramento Kings and joining the Philadelphia 76ers coaching staff under Nick Nurse. Um, the guy's been with the Kings in a, a million different roles uh, with uh, with Vladi, uh, bringing him in for different advisor roles and then eventually wound up as the head of the G League team there in Stockton in 2021. Uh, Jerry, do you have anything uh, on, on Bobby Jackson? You got any good Bobby Jackson stories for us? Oh, well, I can remember a couple. <laughs> I always remember he lost a bunch of money to Blotty on a plane trip of playing poker. And I think he lost about $5,000. We were flying into New York, uh, staying at the Trump Tower that time, you know, down on a real high-end place. And, and Blotty said, Bobby, if you'll, uh, if you'll walk in in your underwear to check when we check in, I'll I'll, 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 I'll let let the five thousand dollars that you owe me go, <laughs> and and he did. You know he had boxers on. <laughs> you know people people were kind of looking at him, but nobody said anything. But you know I've often thought about that. I I probably would have done that too, but <laughs> for five thousand dollars. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I haven't said. I mean, Bobby was terrific. You know, I always said just. Uh, I thought he did a good job. I, I was a little disappointed the Kings didn't find a spot for him, yeah. you know, themselves, to be honest with you. But in, in a lot of ways, though, it's probably good for his career, you know, uh, just not to be a king at this stage. I, sure. I kind of think Doug might be in the same situation where he might be better off, you know, trying to carve out a niche outside the Kings hierarchy, you know, since they've only been in one spot type thing. So. Sure. But you got to wish him well. And I think, you know, getting to work with Nick Nurse, obviously, I, I think he's one of the very best. I really do. And so, so it's, it's a great opportunity. So you got to be happy for Bobby. All right. So let's roll over to a commercial break and we'll be right back. Sacramento Electronic Supply now has stock on TrendNet switches, 5 to 18 port gigabyte power over Ethernet switches, for all your networking and camera needs. Stop on by their location directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Hey, or visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelect.com. Okay, Tony, take it away with our uh, Patreon question of the day. Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash King's Herald or on Twitter or on the website uh, in the comment section of the post for this podcast. Uh, every question that you ask does get answered eventually, whether it's on this show or on our Patreon exclusive Q&A, where we ask all of the leftover questions. So keep submitting them. And if you don't hear it on this show, it will get answered eventually. Uh, this week's question comes from Tim Maxwell, actually. Uh, he dropped an idea that I wanted to run by Jerry specifically because Jerry misses out on all of our Slack conversations. So it's good It's good to get his his take when we finally get him on the podcast. Um, so Tim proposed a, uh, a poll um, and then asked it in the form of a question. Uh, and Tim asks, which is the best result for the starting four spot on the Kings next season? And he gives you three options. So one would be just to re-sign Harrison Barnes, uh, Tim said three years, 56 million, but for simplicity's sake, we can just say re-signing Harrison Barnes is one option. 
um, trading the number 24 pick for John Collins or signing Kyle Kuzma to a four-year, $80 million deal. Uh, Jerry, so what what to you is kind of the best option for the Kings next season? Is it Barnes? Is it Collins? Or is it Kuzma, considering what it would take to get any of those players? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a lot there. I mean, I, I, I don't know that you get better. I would still try to keep Harris Barnes. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless you could take the pick and Harrison and get something you know, to really a big, a, a power big that, uh, you know, could, could make a real difference uh, type thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, Kuzma's obviously, I think, more talented than John Collins because he's just such a much better shooter. Uh, how would he? But I think if, uh, but having said all that, with the money involved, if, if you could keep uh, Harrison at a reasonable rate, and then trade the first pick for John Collins, I think that might be your best route, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've you gotten better. You've gotten deeper. Uh, you've got, like I always said, I think Keegan Murray's got to be your small forward going forward. And Harrison Barnes would be a terrific off-the-bench guy, professionally and talent. And Collins gives you a lively athletic guy to play with Sabonis. So, don't know if that'd be the best, but, uh, you know, like I say, just, you know, cause you're, you know, financially, I don't see any problem with if you could sign Kuzma to four years at 80 million. I don't think you could, by the way. Mm. So, you know, I think you're, you're going to get into a lot more money in that it might be cost effective or ineffective, I guess. So I don't find that makes sense to you guys. Yeah, I want to hear what uh, Brian and Will have to say on this too, but I wanted to follow up, Jerry, because this is I thought about this too with the idea of acquiring John Collins. You think that it's Harrison? If you had both those players on the team, you think it's Harrison Barnes is the one that goes to the bench out of those two? I think so. I mean, I think yeah. with Har- Harrison, the, you know who he is. He's a guy who can play both spots and probably needs to. It makes the most likely sense. Your future probably is with Keegan. The sooner you get on with it, I think makes the most sense. Uh, and like say Collins is something you don't have. And so, you know, you might as well move forward. And I think then you look, then the other thing, uh, Harrison Barnes is the ultimate pro, you know, pay him, pay him, uh, you know, a fair salary. And I, I, I don't think he'd have a problem. Uh, really. I mean, I'd be surprised if he did, but uh, I just think you probably, you know, it doesn't make you as good as you want to be, but it makes you better than you were. Yeah. Uh, Brian, your your take on this these three options here? Yeah, I'm not as high on Kyle Kuzma as some of our Kings Herald uh, friends. Uh, I do think that if he was the one who came over and something he's your starting power forward, I think you're better. Um, I worry a bit about the floor spacing because I think the last couple of years his his deep shooting numbers haven't been stellar, and is he going to accept a lesser role in the offense? Cause I mean, suddenly he's the, the third, fourth option. I think the reason that I'll say I'd rather trade 24 and, you know, Rashawn Holmes uh, and whatever other salary needs to be added to make that work for John Collins. I, I'll, I'll go with that because if you, if, if you signed Kuzma, that meant that you um, removed Barnes's cap hold and and just waved his bird rights and just said, okay, you're you're leaving. That's I think the only way that you could get the cap space to get uh Kyle Kuzma to any salary, whether it's the the one that Tim 
presented. And I would rather be able to trade for John Collins and then re-sign Barnes to be my bench uh, forward and move forward with Barnes being, you know, my super sixth man or my most tradable contract than I would just seeing Barnes leave and, and bring Kyle Kuzma in. Will? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Cause I mean, I guess it depends on what you're, what you're paying Harrison Barnes to come off the bench for. If it's $15 million and you get John Collins in him, then you're investing $40 million into a team that I don't think beats the nuggets. I, I think maybe can go back and and be the third seed in the playoffs again, which isn't a bad thing, but like we, we know what we have to do in terms of beating the best team in the West now. And I don't know how much Kuzma moves the needle versus Barnes and Collins. That's risky either way. I hate Tim, especially now. Those are, that's one of those questions that that's one of those questions that it's a very Tim question. It's like, Oh, cool. I've got no good options. Thank you, Tim. It's the, it's the Kobayashi Maru of questions and Tim's great at those. And every time he asks one, it just gives me a headache with no good answers at the end of it. Um, if I, ha- if gun to my head, yeah, I'd, I think I'd rather have Harrison Barnes and John Collins, but like looking at the CBA and the way the CBA, the new CBA is structured, that terrifies me in terms of the ceiling of the Kings. I mean, I think Collins is a free agent in two or three years from now. So maybe then you can do something then, but with like, Demonis Sabonis's contract coming up with John Collins, then the next year with Fox already with a max deal, like you're really going to limit your ceiling on what the Kings could pay for in terms of like high end talent. And I don't know. I don't know. Tim, Tim, you win this one. My brain's broken and I give no answers. Keep the pick. <laughs> let Harrison Barnes go. We're going to keep building slow. All young guys all the time. I'm still on the tank. <laughs> well, you know, the, yeah, the thing about the money thing, is, you know, you can go over the cap to sign your own guys. True. And if you're ever, I mean, in, at some point that's going to have to be dealt with. Uh, so, uh, but the other thing on, on Collins, and I'm not a huge fan because I don't think he's been nearly as good the last couple of years as he mm-hmm. was before. But I think there's a reason for that. I, I think when you're, Basically, in every trade rumor for two years, it has to affect your play a little bit. And you know, he was probably overpaid a little. But then, but then again, you're you're you can see the end of it. And so that part's good. Then the other part that I think people have forgotten, I haven't, is that he played center in college. When he first went to the Hawks, he played a lot of center. And I mean, not that that's where you want him, but he was very effective. You know, that was before Capella and some other guy. But I mean, he he was a he was pretty tough in there, you know, lively. Uh, so I mean, I think, you know, it's not it's 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 not the best of all worlds, but it's a better world. Sure. Uh, so yeah. well, and and then back to the Harrison thing, I don't know what you'd have to pay, but I do know that if you don't keep good players, you don't get better. You know, saving money. Doesn't light up the scoreboard. Very true. And yep. And I I learned that the hard way, uh, at great expense <laughs> to my mentality. Is though you you can't trot out save dollar bills. They don't rebound <laughs> score. I don't know, Jerry. Cash considerations always looks good. Cash considerations. <laughs> uh, well, I mean that that's you, yeah. Well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Jerry, why don't we run over to you for the uh, for the Patreon or for the uh, for the Reynolds wrap up for this one? Well, I just want to, you know, kind of talk about the the Denver Nuggets. I, I tell you, I was just so excited 
to see them win. I got as nervous almost as for Kings games in the playoffs because of Michael Malone, a terrific okay. coach, terrific guy, uh, just a fireball. And, uh, you know, just so happy for him. Uh, and then maybe the other part, uh, so I got, the more it went, the more scared I became. I was looking at the Denver Nuggets, and as we talked about a little earlier, is, you know, at the start of the whole playoffs, I wasn't, the Nuggets didn't scare me much. But damn, they scare me now. Uh, you know, if they, they, you're, you know, it's going to take something to get through them. You know, they've got the taste of it. And, and truly, Murray is one of the elite guards in the league now. Like, it looked like he was going to be before the injuries. Jokic is, he's one of one, for God's sakes. <laughs> and I mean, and, you know, Michael Porter's going to get better. And now I think the Brown thing, you know, the veteran Brown, uh, that's going to be a key for him. They, they need to keep that guy. You know, and I think they'll try, and he probably wants to stay. And, uh, you know, and one last point on this, and I know it sounds silly, but Christian Braun or Brown, you know, yeah. kind of a late pick. But, but you know, there, there are bad teams in the league that he wouldn't play as much on as the one he's playing on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, partly because, you know, he's who he is. I mean, what a terrific scrapper, tough kid, athlete, uh, you know, role player. And a great coach understands how to get mileage out of him, but but you could probably put him in Houston, and he might not get off the bench, while a bunch of you know bunch of slick dicks are shooting up bad <laughs> shots, you know. Uh, but anyway, so that's about all I got. But I like I say, I'm just so happy to see Denver win it, and yeah. and a little bit scared for the Kings sure. after I got through celebrating about the Nuggets. <laughs> Well, for everyone here at the King's Herald, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. Thank you, Bryant, for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and uh, and allowing us to uh, to to pick your brain on the draft this year. It's going to be an exciting one. Uh, thank you to uh, thank you to our listeners for uh, for tuning in and listening to this guy, and uh, for listening to Jerry and listening to Tony all all, uh, all season long and now into the off season. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks after the Kings have uh, have made their picks. Can't wait.